So as Dave said, uh, this morning we're going to be exploring the generosity of God and see how as followers of Christ, we then should live lives of generosity. Uh, This is part of our spiritual act of worship. But I expect that in this room, there are a whole host of stories of generosity that we've experienced, people that have shown us generosity in our lives. So I thought we'd do something a bit different, and I want you to talk to your uh, neighbor if they don't look too scary, and perhaps just briefly, we're going to have about a minute and a half, two minutes, uh, share a, a story of generosity that you've experienced in your life. Go for it. Okay, 20 seconds, finish your story. Uh, If we had more time, it'd be brilliant to go around with the microphone, wouldn't it, and just hear some of those stories of generosity. We don't have that amount of time, but if you've heard a particularly amazing story, do come and tell me, I'd love to, to hear about it. But when I think of generosity, I think of my mum, who is, uh, I think, probably one of the most generous people I know. And I know uh, a lot of my friends and family feel the same as well about my mum. Just to give you an example uh, of what she's like, if she comes here, don't tell her that I've told you this, she'd be really embarrassed. <laughs> but um, but she, um, uh, when we were growing up, we had very little money. And in fact, after my dad left, uh, we were on income support for a number of years. And uh, All we had really was the house that we lived in. And uh, when I was at university one time, I came back. I can't remember, it it was a holiday or a weekend uh, back at home. And I got home and I I found that I didn't have a bedroom to sleep in. But this was pretty standard in my house because my mum tended to just let anybody come and live with us who needed uh, somewhere to live or uh, a roof over their heads or a meal. And that particular weekend, uh, we had a family of four, Uh, living in the attic where my room was, no more. Um, We had a teenage boy who, I don't even know how he got to be at our house. I think somebody had just brought him home and and he was living with us uh, for a time. And also uh, a teenage mum with a newborn baby, Jessica, who'd been kicked out of her home by her her mum. And mum had uh, acquired her and uh, she was living with us as well at that time. Um, And that was pretty normal uh, for our house. At that time, mum was really welcoming and would just take in anybody who needed a house or a meal or anything that was uh, going on in their lives at the time. 
Sorry, my iPad has just decided to stop working. <laughs> just a minute. So, oh dear. It's just what we want in the middle of the thing. I'll tell you another story while my iPad is deciding to get working. John, do you want to just come and... Sorry, it's about husbands are quite useful. It's my iPad. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll tell you another story. Um, also in our house, because we had very little uh, money at the time, uh, and all these people were living up with us, when gas bills or um, electricity bills or telephone bills uh, would come through the doors, so often we just didn't have the money uh, to pay uh, the bill. Uh, but funnily enough, um, somebody somewhere was being gener generous towards us, and, uh, and usually a couple of days after we'd received this bill that we couldn't pay, some money, the exact money that we needed to pay this bill would come through the door in a brown envelope in cash and we could pay the bill. This happened for a number of years and we never found out who that person was that was prompted by God to give us the money to pay the bill. Is it working? Brilliant, thank you. Husbands, they're quite useful. Well done. <laughs> Um, but for me as well, um, just people giving of themselves sacrificially, uh, I found to be really striking in my life. Like my friend Emma, who when my stepdad died, she got in her car, he died really suddenly of a heart attack, she got in her car and she drove 250 miles just to check I was all right. She could have rung me, but she just wanted to be with me and she gave her time and her energy in that way. Or a guy called Eric uh, that I worked with in my last job, who just had such a generous heart. And he would leave me packets of Maltesers all over the school <laughs> I worked at, uh, just to encourage me and to be kind to me with little post-it notes, with little messages on. Uh, and always deny it was him as well, but I knew it was him. So generosity uh, comes in all sorts of ways, doesn't it? I'm sure many of you had incredible stories of generosity that you shared with each other at the beginning. And I know that for, for me and my experience uh, of the generosity that I live with, with my mum every day, that has really shaped how John and I now live our lives or try and live our lives. And I'm sure many of you here can relate to that. As Paul writes this second letter to the Corinthians uh, that we heard read a few moments ago, he's instructing the early Christians in some of the basics of discipleship. And one of the key basics that he picks out in terms of being a follower of God is to be generous. He's challenging those early Christians to allow their lives to be, in his words, an overflow of thanks to God. Our lives should be an overflow of thanks and worship to, be, to God. To be cheerful in our giving, he says. And by doing so, we'll be imitating the generosity that we have received from God ourselves. He says this, each person should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Simply put, as Christians, we have received grace. We have been given the free gift of forgiveness, of new life in Jesus. We are freely able to come to him in worship, and we have been made rich in every way. And our response to the generosity that we have received from God should be to be generous ourselves to God and to other people, to the people we live our lives with, to the people that we've never met and will never meet either. 
All those random people that my mum brought into our house and gave a bed or a meal or just somebody to talk to, uh, they couldn't have helped but notice the generosity of of God that my mum was making visible in their lives. But in many ways, this whole challenge about generosity would have been a real struggle for those early Christians to hear as they struggle daily with their daily lives and living and having enough food, enough money to live on. And they were living in a hostile environment too. And it can be a real struggle for many of us today. In fact, some of us here in this church this morning might be starting to listen to this and your hackles might be rising a little bit. You don't want to hear about money or generosity or giving. Uh, You don't want to be told what to do. Um, It's a private matter, you might be thinking. But let's just rewind a moment. Firstly, if you are a follower of of Jesus, then we need to be reminded that everything that we have comes from God. Everything that we have comes from God. Secondly, the Bible has stacks to say about giving, about money, and about generosity. So as much as we might like to ignore it, unfortunately, we can't. And thirdly, we're actually talking here about generosity, something that can change the course of the world and can change the course of people's lives. So maybe we just need to lay down our baggage. I admit that we've got some, some of us, uh, lay it down and hear what Jesus is saying to us and speaking into our own lives and into the life of this church today. But before we get on to God, let's talk for a moment about Bill Gates. Bill Gates, uh, founder, uh, chief exec of Microsoft, as we all know. Uh, According to the Forbes Rich List, uh, Bill Gates is worth $90 billion. That sort of blows my mind. I can't imagine what that is, really. It's such a bizarre uh, bizarre figure. Um, According to the internet, I like random facts like this, um, Bill Gates is the 37th richest country, if he was a country, in the world. Um, And also, if Bill Gates, who's about 57, I think, lived to the age of 90 and earned no more money from today onwards, he would have to spend about $6 million a day to try and get rid of his wealth. What would you buy with $6 million a day? I just cannot imagine what you would do with it. But not only is Bill Gates uh, one of the richest uh, people on earth, but he's also known as one of the most generous uh, people on earth at the moment as well. He and his wife, uh, Melinda, give, uh, have given so far uh, $30 billion to the uh, Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, uh, which is, has its aim to improve healthcare and eradicate extreme poverty around the world. Again, an immense figure, $30 billion. And they actually have the aim to give away 95% of their wealth uh, before they die. I don't know whether they'll even notice that they've given 95% away because they've got so much. Bill Gates' wealth and his generosity are pretty mind-blowing to us, aren't they? But listen to this. Compared to the wealth of God, Bill Gates is a pauper, even with $90 billion. And compared with the generosity of God, Bill Gates is a miser. So with that perspective, let's uh, get to our, as our starting point, let's just remind ourselves of who this generous God is whom we worship. 
So the whole story of the Bible begins with God, the creator, the provider of everything. We begin with uh, creation and God's incredible gift to us of creation. The generosity of God means you can go up Arthur's seat this afternoon and look out and see an incredible view, which just blows your mind, doesn't it? Or go up any mountain and take in an incredible view. It gives us that feeling of contentment when on those, those uh, selective days in Edinburgh, you can stand there and feel the warmth of the sun on your face. It's a great moment. It's the generosity of God which gives us each other. With all our diversity and our weirdness, uh, our gifts and our flaws, with the ability to laugh and to cry and to moan and rejoice together. There is nothing in the whole of God's creation that gives us the impression at all that when God created, he held back or he stunted his imagination. God's creation is just an explosion of colourful, beautiful generosity, isn't it? And time and again through the biblical story, we see the generosity of God as he gives Abraham, uh, who has no children, more descendants than there are stars in the sky. Or to those Jews when they had escaped from Egypt and are wandering in the desert, moaning their hearts out, manna and quail every day to keep them fed. Or uh, the God who hears the cry of Hannah and gives her a son. He generously gives her a son. But the most striking thing I find that as I read the pages of the Bible is that God is so generous in love. His generous love for humanity is beyond measure and is seen in each page of Scripture. And this is most powerfully seen in the love of Jesus. Jesus, who in his very person is love. Jesus' teachings and his actions epitomize the generosity of God Jesus, who who, um, ultimately became poor so that we might become rich. Jesus, who in his generosity challenges his followers that the economy of the world is not God's economy. As he declares, be merciful, be pure in heart, be peacemakers, be meek. From the flow of this sort of generosity, we see the heart of God. And God is seen and experienced in this broken and hurt world that we live in. Jesus, generous in love as he welcomes that prostitute and he lets her sit at his feet in the most privileged position in the house. And he freely lets that woman's tears fall on his feet. And then when she gets that perfume and pours it on her feet too, he accepts her and he forgives her and he sets her free. What an immense demonstration of generous love. And then we see the generosity of God, who then, when the wine runs out at his friend's wedding, just doesn't give back some 2.99 plonk from Lidl, but actually gives them the best wine that they could possibly have tasted at that point. And this is what, as followers of Jesus, we should be imitating. This is the generosity that we are challenged to make visible in our world. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. In Jesus, we see somebody who is sowing and reaping with abundance. And ultimately, it was the awesome generosity of the Father to us, his children, which allowed Jesus to go to the cross. The Father sowed generously, in giving his son, with whom he was well pleased, with whom he loved. 
And he reaped generously too, because in Jesus' last breath, as he cried out, into your hands I commit my spirit, it was then as he cried out that the curtain in the temple was torn in two. The curtain which had symbolized the separation between God and normal people like us. The curtain which in its very presence was saying, God is holy and we're not. It was then as Jesus died that that curtain was torn in two. And our generous, said, generous God said, look, Jesus has done it. The way is open. Walk on through. Receive my forgiveness. Receive my love. Receive the freedom that I've brought for you because I have done it. And so for those of us who perhaps think, you know, I could tick some of the boxes in life. You know, if I could only just do this and this and this and be that and that and that. If we think we can be justified through our own deeds, through the things we do by our giving or our service or our generosity then we'll just keep trying and we'll never actually get there. But in his generosity, God says, you don't have to. He just says, come and receive the abundance of the riches that I have bought for you through the cross. And it's called grace. That's what we call grace. And isn't it brilliant that we can know the generosity of God made visible in Jesus? And it's this which causes us to worship and to give God, our generous God, his worth, because that's what worship is. And we do this as we praise and as we sing songs together in church and through almost extravagant expressions of worship that we can give to God, our generous God. But we should also make God's generosity visible through the worship of our daily lives too. Through all those big and little acts of service that perhaps we shared with each other at the beginning of our time together. And Paul puts it like this as he tries to show the church in Corinth why this is so important. He says in verse 12, This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Grace is made visible when the people of God are open-handed Uh, have an open-handed understanding of all they have and all they are. Grace is made visible when the people of God live with an open-handed understanding of all they have and all they are. We are to be open-handed to the world in the way that Jesus was open-handed to. We're called to imitate him, to make him visible in the world through our generosity. And we're like, yeah, yeah. You know, I agree with that. I want to be like that. But for some of us, there's a sticking point, isn't there, between what happens in here, in this building, or what happens in here, but what actually happens out there when we get out into our daily lives. I wonder if it's something to do with how we view the gifts, the money, the talents, the time that we have. They are like possessions to be managed, aren't they? Or or finances that we need to make work for us. Or talents that we need to use to get us somewhere on the ladder of life. But the Bible repeatedly states that we do not own creation. We do not own our material gifts. We do not own the time that we have. We do not own the gifts and the abilities that we've been given. I love it in Psalm 24, uh, verses 1 and 2, where we're reminded that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, 
The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. And therefore, anything we have is not ours, but it's given to us to manage as stewards. And so we're simply stewards of all the things that God has given us. We're just given them to look after for a little while. And so do you and I live as though this is true in our lives? Now, I know that I find this really hard, to be honest. You know, I worry about money. Uh, I worry about having enough money. I worry about paying the bills sometimes. Not as much as my husband, but I do. Uh, I want to go on the same holidays as my friends that earn more money than I do. Uh, I sometimes don't want to share, and I definitely don't want to take risks sometimes. But when we're challenged to give of ourselves or, or our money, not just generously, but actually sacrificially, so that it sometimes hurts, we don't always feel like going, yay, that's brilliant. Because our world, the people we live and work amongst, give us a complete different message, which is all about success and financial security and aspiration, isn't it? But I found it really helpful to think of it like this. If we think of ourselves as citizens of the kingdom of God, rather than citizens of our Western, materialistic, money-driven, success-driven society, then our lives and our practice and our worship and our love and our giving and our generosity will come more naturally to us. James Taylor put it like this, the practices of Christian worship train our love. They are practices for the coming kingdom habituating us as citizens of the kingdom of God. So just have a look again at what Paul is saying to the church in Corinth about generosity. Verse 13, if you've got your Bibles open. He says this, Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. Paul's argument is persuasive because it fits, it makes sense. Dave's new best friend, the theologian Tom Wright, uh, describes it like this. Imagine trying to uh, pack an umbrella into a cardboard tube, okay? Uh, now, if you put the uh, uh, umbrella uh, handle first into that cardboard tube, it'll be really difficult uh, because you'll find that the struts start to scrape on the cardboard, you know, the little bits at the end of the long bits of an umbrella. I'm describing this really badly, but you get my gist, I'm sure. Uh, they start sort of grating on the cardboard. Either the umbrella gets bent as you try and jam it, handle end first, into the cardboard tube, or the cardboard tube itself gets damaged. And the answer is to turn the umbrella the other way around and put it pointy end first into the cardboard tube. In this passage from 2 Corinthians, Paul isn't just giving uh, the people he's writing to a whole load of pithy slogans like, God loves a cheerful giver, so that he can just end up forcing them to do something that they don't really want to do. But he's turning their minds. So they and we may see things as they really are. We may see God as he really is, as an incredibly generous God. We may see the grace that he has freely given us and bought for us through the cross. And then the effect 
of our visible generosity, what effect that can have on the world, on the church, on society. And so it's when we surrender ourselves uh, to the generosity of our living saviour that our behaviour begins to change and generosity just flows much more naturally from our lives. A couple of years ago, I think it was when uh, my daughter Alice was about five, I think. Um, She came down to breakfast before school carrying her money box and promptly emptied the contents of the money box onto the kitchen table and started counting out all the five pences and the ten pences and the coppers. And I was thinking, what are you doing? You should be getting ready for school. We're going to be late. Anyway, um, but she carried on counting and and Alice got to £4.80 in her, uh, her money box. And she'd saved this money for ages. She's a complete hoarder. Um, And I'm just sat there thinking, what are you doing, child? And then she got to the end, and then she said, Mummy, have you got 20 pence? Because I've only got £4.80. And I was thinking, you've got more money than I've got in my purse. Um, But I I found 20 pence. And she said, I would like an envelope as well. And I was thinking, well, why, when you've got a perfectly good money box? But anyway, we gave her the envelope and the 20 pence. And she wanted £5. So I asked her why she wanted five pounds. And she explained that Miss Coleman, who was her teacher at school, a few weeks after this, uh, Miss Coleman was leaving because she was going to be a missionary in Madagascar. And she'd been explaining to the children in her class how in Madagascar, she would only need five pounds a week to live on because it was so cheap. And so Alice had decided that she had enough money to give Miss Coleman to live for a whole week in Madagascar. And she was so delighted that she had this five pounds. She gave Miss Coleman all that she had. She gave Miss Coleman all that she had. And it was one of those sort of, wow, parent moments. Where did that come from? I know that if my life is anything to go by, we all hold back things from God, don't we? We stand in church and we can go, yes, God, you know, I'm going to give you my all. I'm going to give you my time and my energy. I'm going to give my finances. I'm going to worship you with all that I am. But actually, it's so hard to do that in our daily lives, to actually allow the Holy Spirit to change us from the inside out, to actually give of our time and our money and our talents sacrificially um, and to do it all from the right place. I've only been in this church about eight months, but as I stand here and I look out, uh, one of the things that has really struck me is the daily sacrificial generosity of God uh, that I've seen happening in this church. People who are opening their homes, people who are giving financially, people who give of their time and their energy and their abilities to the kingdom building ministry in this church and, and in other organizations as well people that are making a difference through their generosity. And I know of people here who are giving generously to of themselves, to your colleagues at work, to friends or family or neighbours who are in need in some way, who are struggling with practical and emotional help. You're making a difference through your generosity, through sharing what you've experienced in your own lives with other people too. And that's kingdom worship. That's what kingdom worship looks like. But I wonder if some of us here are perhaps a little bit tempted to fall into a way of thinking which goes along the lines of, just look at this church. Just look at this space that we've got here. Look at all the stuff that goes on in this place. 
And we tend to think, well, we've done our bit. We've given generously. We've given sacrificially at some point. So sometimes it's just worth checking ourselves, isn't it? And ensuring we're not living off our past generosity. That we're responding to the present, God's present generosity in our lives and responding generously in the way we act too. And so Paul in this passage from 2 Corinthians says, come and step inside the story. We all have some gifts and abilities. We all have some money. But it's the Holy Spirit filling us, working in us, changing us from the inside out, changing our behavior that will make our money, our time, our gifts flow from a heart that is right with God, which is righteous, where we've surrendered our lives to him so that giving sacrificially just becomes who we are and what we do. And it's this sort of generosity which will make, have a a lasting effect on the world. It's not reluctantly or from compulsion uh, that we're generous, but our generosity flows from the grace that we've received from Jesus ourselves. Grace, gratitude, generosity. These aren't optional extras in the Christian life or Christian worship, but the heart of what we are and what we do.